Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We started a new series over uh, about three weeks ago uh, that we have provocatively titled, Am I Going to Heaven? And we are wrestling with the question of eternity. Uh, I think every human, as we've said every week, comes to this point in their life where they have to ask themselves, is eternity real? And if so, where am I going to spend it? And we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks. And I I know I asked last week, like, hey, have you guys enjoyed this series? And I don't think enjoy is the right word, uh, but hopefully you have grown over the last couple of weeks. Have you grown at all in your faith over the last couple of weeks? Four people have. Okay, cool. I'll do a better job then from now on so that you can grow. No, I I really do think that these, uh, these sermons and sometimes studying the hard scriptures to read, it's so vital to our faith. It's good to feel uncomfortable comfortable when you read the Bible sometimes because discomfort is what brings change. You don't see the big old guys at the gym lifting the pink weights, you know, hoping that they're going to get some muscles. No, it's the pain sometimes that allows us to grow. And so uh, we're going through this book, and even though it doesn't feel great sometimes, I really do believe we're growing. And I hope you have been wrestling with that question. Is eternity real, and where am I going to spend it? Some people answer that question later in life, others earlier in life. And in fact, this week I was thinking about uh, when my daughters made the decision to follow Jesus. My oldest uh, is a very responsible, she has kind of a linear thought pattern in her life. And so I I think she was about five years old. And one day she was in her bed and she said, dad, I think I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ with my whole life now. And, you know, made the decision and prayed the prayer. And she's very much that kind of girl. Uh, My youngest uh, is very emotionally driven sometimes. And uh, it was a slightly different conversion process for her. I remember uh, a few years ago after we moved here, uh, her and I took a trip in the car to Golf Mart. Shout out to my boy who spent a little bit too much time at Golf Mart. Uh, and we were going in through Colma. And if you don't know where Colma is or what city, uh, the city of Colma is all about, it is where there's more dead people than there are living people. There are a lot of cemeteries there. You get to choose from a plethora, plethora of options where you want to be buried, you know. I want to be buried according to my nationality or this topography. I mean, there are so many different cemeteries there. And uh, we were taking the back roads to get to Golf Mart. And as we're driving through all of these different cemeteries, my daughter is looking out the window and she's noticing all the tombstones. And she says, Daddy, what are those white things out there? And I said, oh, those are, uh, those are tombstones. Not the pizza, but, you know, the to- anyone old enough to remember tombstone pizza? What do you want on your tombstone? Okay. <laughs> a lot of you are younger than me. That's cool. Uh, so we're driving through and, and I tell her it's a tombstone. She's like, what's a tombstone? I said, well, it's a rock that goes above a grave and you know, when somebody dies, they bury them there in the ground and you know, they write the date they were born, the date that they died and a little bit of information about the person on the epitaph there on their tombstone. And she's like, wait, so there's like, there's bodies <laughs> underneath all of those? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it was amazing to watch a five-year-old girl process that there were thousands of bodies like right outside of the car. A little, little like terrifying for her. So I just kind of sat there and watched it happen and, Finally, she says to me, um, Daddy, is, is that where I'm going to go when I die? <laughs> I'm like, well, no, you could choose, you know, wherever you want to go. <laughs> Made the mistake of telling her about, like, cremating, and that was, you know, traumatizing for her. You could spread your ashes across the sea. Uh, and I said, but that's just where your body goes. You know, your spirit goes somewhere else. And you know that. We've talked about that before, right? And she nods her head. So where does your spirit go? And she said, or... And I'm like, that's right. And you don't want to go. So you listen to mommy and daddy and you don't date dumb boys. And <laughs> get married at 38. You know, those sorts of things. But I said, okay, so which one of those do you want to go to? And she goes, <laughs> she points up. 
I said, okay, well, you, you know what you need to do for that, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, okay. So right there in the car, she invited Jesus into her life, and she made the decision to follow him. So I learned a lesson that day. Anytime somebody is struggling with their salvation, just drive them through coma. <laughs> so this is where I bring everybody I'm trying to convert now. Just drive them past the grave sites. You know, that's where you're going to go. All right? You know where you're going to end up? And it's a great conversation. I'm just kidding. I would never do that. But everybody comes to this point in life where they have to answer that question. Is eternity real? And if so, where am I going to spend it? And that is why we are asking this question. Am I going to heaven? And we are studying the book of 1 John. In this book, the author is telling us what we need to understand, how we need to live our lives, what our lives should look like if we are, in fact, heaven-bound. In fact, that is his motivation as well, to create a sense of eternal confidence, that we would be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, I know that I know that I know that I am going to heaven. Um, our key scripture for the last couple of weeks is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and I'll read it to us again. It says, my purpose in writing this letter to you is simple. It's that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion. I want you to know that you know that you have eternal life. And we've mentioned every week that word know is the word edo in the Greek. And it means to discover by investigation or examination. What the author is asking us to do is to look at the letter that he's penned to paper and compare our lives to his letter to determine, are there any discrepancies? If we have truly made a decision to follow Jesus, this is what the roadmap of our life should look like. And if we do find some discrepancies, to adjust accordingly so that we can have this eternal confidence. That's his heart for you. That's my heart for you. I want everybody that calls the Father's house home to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am on my way to an eternity with Christ. That is where I'm headed. And so, yeah, that's worth a clap. Thank you up there in the, the balcony seats. Almost called them the cheap seats. <laughs> we didn't pay for any of these seats. So we've, the last couple of weeks, we've, we've attempted to establish that kind of confidence. And week one, we examined. We looked at our lives and compared uh, what the uh, Apostle John here says about living in the light and living in the darkness. He said, don't claim to have fellowship with God if you continue to live in darkness. And we determined that we will not be visitors of the light while we remain residents of the darkness, but we are gonna be those who establish and build our lives in the light. We're gonna live in the light as he is in the light. And then last week, we talked rather exhaustively about everybody's favorite word, obedience. We talked about obedience. We talked about the difference between hearing the word of God and truly listening to the word of God. We don't wanna be people who hear what he says and it goes in one ear and right out the other ear. No, we wanna do what the Bible says, the Hebrew word shema. We want to listen and we want to obey. And if we find ourselves in a season where obedience is lacking, it doesn't mean we need to fall back in line and try harder to obey. No, according to the scripture, we need to fall back in love because love ultimately is what motivates us to obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Not if you love me, you're gonna prove it through your obedience, but the natural outflow, the manifestation of love is to obey. At the conclusion of last week's sermon, I, I shared that we were going to be talking about that concept a little bit further, talking about love again, and today we're gonna do just that. Last week, John told us where our affection should lie. Today, he begins to warn us about where we cannot afford to love. So as we get into it, if you have your Bible, you can open it up to the book of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 
Uh, if not, it'll come up on the screen for you. But here's what John goes on to say. By the way, if it feels like we skipped a number of scriptures, uh, that's because the concepts mentioned in those in-between scriptures are gonna be mentioned later in the book, and we'll unpack those at a later date a little more exhaustively. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Not the most encouraging scripture to start out a sermon with, uh, but again, we want to grow today. How many up for growing today, all right? So let's get into this. I want to title this chat, if you're going to take notes, DTR. DTR. If you're unfamiliar with that acronym, it means define the relationship. Today we're going to have the dreaded DTR chat, all right? It's going to be, it's going to be great. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into this space over the next couple of moments to speak to every one of us individually. Lord, we don't want to be those, as John warns us here, that love the world. We want our love to be reserved for you. And so, Father, I ask over these next couple of moments that you'd open our hearts, you'd open our minds to receive from your word, not a man on a stage, but Holy Spirit, that you would speak to every one of us and transform us before we leave this place today. In the great name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. All right, little audience participation moment as we jump in. How many single people do we have here today? Singles, singles? All right, I know some of you are shy about it. You're not proud about it, okay. But come on, I'm helping you out right now. I love this moment in church when you ask for the singles because you raise your hand and everybody starts looking around like, options, 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 okay. Okay, okay, come on, be proud about it. I'm single, yeah, there we go. Meet at the connect table afterwards. We will exchange phone numbers. I joined the Connect team to find a man. All right. <laughs> uh, how many dating couples do we have? Dating, dating, dating. Okay, okay, okay. How many married people? Come on, where are the married people at? Hey. There we go. I'm not getting recently married. I like it. Well done. <laughs> uh, any engaged folks? Anyone engaged here today? Anyone engaged? Hey, congratulations. When do you get married? Next year. Next year. Do you have a date or are you still working on it? Okay, January 1st is a great one. Um, just throwing it out there. New year, new y'all, all that stuff. Okay. Now, I'm really glad that you guys just did what you did because if you didn't, uh, this, this whole illustration was going to break apart. But, but thank you for some of you not participating because what happened over the last couple of moments is I asked that question. You didn't see this from your vantage point. But from my vantage point, there were a number of people that didn't raise their hand for anything. Now, there's... One of two reasons that that happened. Number one, you hate it when somebody from a stage asks you to raise your hand, and it doesn't matter what I say. I could be giving away a million dollars, and you are not gonna raise your hand for some guy on a stage, no matter how many times he asks you. Number two, which might be a little more likely, you're not quite sure where you fit in the relationship spectrum. You haven't quite had the DTR chat. Now, hopefully the married people and the engaged people know where you're at, and that's in a, like, I know that I'm married. If you don't know that you're married, Anyway, uh, <laughs> but the dating and the single people, you might be a little unclear, a little foggy about where you stand in the mix. See, back in the day, it was obvious where you stood. In the old days, we were either dating or we were not dating. It was that simple. Nowadays, there are like a dozen different phases that a relationship goes through before we ever enter into any sense of like true commitment. Have you noticed this? You can meet somebody that you're interested in and you're like, oh, they're cute, he's cute, she's cute. And, and, and you start to talk a little bit on the phone and then you know, a friend of yours might notice that that's the case and like, hey, what's going on with you and so-and-so? And, -and, -so? and oh, oh, we're just, we're just getting to know each other right now. Okay, okay. 
A couple of weeks passes by, start talking on the phone. You're laughing because it's true. <laughs> like, hey, I've noticed you've been talking to this person a lot. What, what's, what's happening there? Oh, we're, we're just, we're talking now. <laughs> You're talking. <laughs> I talk to a lot of people that I'm not romantically interested in, but okay. A few more weeks go on. Same conversation. Hey, you've been hanging out with that person, going on a few dates. Is, is there something there? Oh, we're, we're just seeing one another right now. Okay, again, I see people all the, never mind. And then, magically, one day, as the conversation uh, continues, maybe even without conversation or a definitive time, hey, what's going on with you and so-and-so? Oh, we're, we're dating. We're dating? <laughs> I guess we're dating now. It's like magically you crossed over, and unless, of course, you're like a child from the 90s, a Christian kid from the 90s, and you kissed dating goodbye, you read the book, uh, in which case, you know, Christian couples, we don't date, we are courting. That's what we do, right? Yes. It's the pre, I don't want to get engaged and I don't want to get married, but I'm pretty steady about that. Going steady, there's an old phrase right there, yeah. We are courting one another. All these phases that relationships go through. I've mentioned before that my wife and I had a relatively complicated uh, relationship before we got married. Uh, we met each other in elementary school and we walked together in junior high to school and then we went uh, to high school together and we dated on and off and on and off. We did that whole like, I don't know if I like you, so I'm gonna go date this other person now, I'll come back to you, kind of the back, you know, boomerang thing in, in the relationship. Shout out to all the couples who can't quite figure out if you wanna stay together yet. There is still hope for you if you break up and get back together and break. It turned out great for us. Anyway, so... We eventually, you know, got together. We literally did the Hallmark movie prom, you know. We went to the prom together and we decided, hey, this is, this is gonna go somewhere. Yeah, don't awe me, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, there came a moment where we had to have that DTR chat. The conversation like, hey, what's, what's gonna happen here? Like, are we actually gonna move forward with this? Is this relationship going somewhere? Or are we just taking another lap around the track here? And of course, it went somewhere. Hey, here we are, 16 years later, a couple of babies. Come on, God is good. Yes. But there was a moment where the relationship had to be defined. And in a sense, I feel like this is what the Apostle John is encouraging us to do as we get into this text. He is forcing us into a conversation in an attempt to define the relationship we have with Jesus. He's saying, okay, you guys have been hanging out a lot. I noticed that, you know, you've been, you've been texting a lot. <laughs> you changed your relationship status on Facebook to in a relationship with Jesus. You posted some pictures together at church. Like, things look like they're moving forward. But I've also noticed that there is this other lover in your life. There's this other person you seem to be spending a lot of time with, and you post pictures with them, and you spend time in their presence as well. So... I feel like we need to have a DTR chat. We need to define, is there any future here between you and Jesus? Or is this thing just kind of temporary until you go back to what you really want? Are we gonna define this thing or are we gonna let it remain ambiguous and never get serious about it? And, and he does so not by engaging any of these random terms that we use to try to define relationships. He doesn't talk about talking to Jesus or seeing Jesus or... You know, we're, we're going steady now. <laughs> now, he actually goes straight for the throat, and he uses that four-letter dreaded word, love. He begins to talk about love. Do you love him? And, and here's how he words it. And again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That is a define the relationship statement right there. He, he, is, he is not pulling any punches. He's, there is no gray area. He is saying, you either love him or you don't love him. You either love him or you love the world. But there is no in-between. You cannot love God and love the world at the same time. Now, that might seem like an odd statement considering the source. After all, we're talking about the Apostle John here who also wrote the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, John gives us perhaps one of the most famous verses in all of Christendom that many of you could recite. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but they would have eternal life. So if God so loved the world, why then would John tell us that we cannot love the world? Well, in order to understand that, you have to go back to the original text. We have to look at this in Greek to understand what John is speaking of here. Because when John speaks of the world, he's not talking about nature and creation and the beauty of the oceans and the expanse of the mountains. He's also not talking about the people of the world that Jesus came to this earth to give his life for. Rather, when John speaks of the world, he uses this Greek word, cosmos. And the word cosmos defined is the systems, the ways of thinking and living. The systems of the world, the way the world thinks, the way the world lives. Uh, the Apostle Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. This world has a pattern. It has a modus operandi, a way of thinking and a way of living. And he's saying you cannot fall in love with the way that the world does things. If you fall in love with the way the world does things, then the love of the Father does not exist in you. Well, what is the ways of the world? Well, John continues on in the very next verse, and he begins to synoptically, very concisely, he tells us this is what the world is all about. You want to know what worldliness looks like? Here it is right here. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He gives us these three categories to define what the world system looks like. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says all of the world systems can be summed up in those three phrases. Now that might feel like an oversimplification of the way the world works, but I challenge you, because I did this last week, try to find a single way that the world does something that doesn't fit into one of those three categories. Everything that the world does falls into one of those three. Think about the way the world does relationships for a moment. In the world, in our culture, we value lust over love. We value getting something transactionally out of a relationship. Without it, Tinder wouldn't exist. But Tinder is proof positive that we're just looking for someone we can hook up with one night. And I know there's some people in our church that have met on Tinder. God bless you, okay? And I'm not like trying to bash anything, but the, 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 this idea that I can hook up with a different person every single night, it's transactional. It's lust that gets fed. It is the lust of the flesh. We, we value this act of fleshly fulfillment instead of a lifetime of loving commitment. That is the kind of culture that we live in right now. Think about the way that the world does money, the way the world does its time. It is the lust of the eyes. It is the lust of the flesh. I see it. I want it. I need to purchase it. This consumerism that permeates our culture, we must have it. We must have it. We amass all of this for ourselves. Again, it fits into that bucket. 
Think about the way that the world defines success, the things that we value, the people we idolize, the self-made, rugged individual that didn't have a parent that brought him into the business but started from the bottom and now he's at the top. And we value that kind of thing. That, that is Americanism at its finest. That's why people move here, to, to make that their narrative. What is it? That is the pride of life. Every single system of this world fits into one of those three buckets, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. But let me remind you, church-going folk, people who have called upon the name of Jesus, that that is the very system Jesus came into this planet to demolish and to set every single one of us free from so that we would not be subject to the systems of this world. Can I Bible nerd out on you for just a moment? Can I, can I get a little nerdy on you? Okay. What happened in the garden? Go back to the garden at the beginning of time for just a moment. Adam and Eve are there. She sees the, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. She knows she's not supposed to eat from it. The enemy begins to tempt her. How does he tempt her? The lust of the eyes, I see this. The lust of the flesh, I must have it. And the pride of life, I want the wisdom that it's going to give me. It is the same three that John begins to mention here in his book. She eats of the fruit, sin enters the world. Now all of us pay the price for it. And for generations, people try to make themselves right with God by sacrificing sheep and goats and bulls and shedding blood in an attempt to make things right between God and humanity. But as the Bible says in Hebrews, when the blood of goats and, and lambs could not pay the price, when guilt still remained in the hearts and the conscience of the people, the Lord sent his one and only son, come on, this is the simple gospel, to come and pay the price for all humanity so that we could be set free from the original sin in the garden. But wait, it gets better. Not only did Jesus, Jesus die the death that we deserved so that he could set us free from that system, but do you know that he overcame those same three temptations in the desert? The same three. How did the enemy appeal to him? Hey, if, if you do this, then everybody will bow down to you, the pride of life. Hey, are you hungry? Turn this thing into a piece of bread and you can eat. What do you see? What does your flesh want? The pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Jesus overcame every single one of those even in the desert. And now John begins to subtly hint back to the garden, subtly hint back to the desert and say, guys, don't you see? This system, this rat race you're getting caught up into, Jesus already came to set you free from this. His love came to break those chains so that you don't have to find yourself wrapped up in this system any longer. So I'm asking you, John is asking you, do you love him? Will you submit your life to the one who tried to set you free from this system? And it's like John stands before you with these two lovers and he says, you have a choice to make. Will you choose Jesus or will you choose the cosmos? This is the closest to The Bachelor any of you are ever gonna get. You have two lovers standing in front of you and you got a rose in your hand. <laughs> I've never seen the show, but this is what I hear happens on it because I'm a pastor and you can't watch that trash. <laughs> I watch that show. Well, then you should be a shit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here you have Jesus, the cosmos. Who gets your love? Who gets your affections? Now, you're church going folk, you're sitting here, you're watching today. So you know the right answer. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's the right answer. Jesus is the right answer, of course. I, I wanna give my affection and my love and my attention and everything to him. But again, John would say, the purpose of this book is to edo, to examine, to investigate. So while that might 
be the, the answer we desire? Is it truly the answer based on the evidence of our lives? If we investigate our lives, would we be able to say, yes, I love him and I am not wrapped up in the love of this world? So let's investigate, shall we? The Greek language has four different words for love. Those of you who've been around the block for a little bit, you know this, you've heard this in church before, but uh, let me jog your memory and share with some of the folks that haven't heard this. The Greek language has four words. In the English, we have the same word we use to describe a multitude of different emotions. We can say, I love ice cream, I love dogs, I love my family, I love the warriors, I love my wife, <laughs> pray for the warriors, pray for Draymond, dude had a rough night a couple nights ago. We, we love all these things, but it's a different emotion for every single one of them. Yet we have the same word that we apply to it. And the Greek, they have a much more specific way in addressing the object of your affection. And so for you note takers, you're going to have fun with this. Here's the four different Greek words for love. The first one is storge. And storge is a familial love, a love for family, a parent, child, an extended family member. The love that you share, it is storge love. Uh, for a biblical example of this, you can see Jairus as he uh, comes to Jesus and asks, asks for healing for his child. Uh, you can see the love of Mary and Martha for Lazarus, this deep affection for a family member. That is storge love. Uh, the next one is phileo. And phileo is the love of a McDonald's fish sandwich. <laughs> phileo. I literally put that in my notes so I did not forget it. Like, that is a great joke right there, all right? Some of you disagree. Phileo is the love of a friend. Hey, Smarty, I love you, bro. Yeah, I love you. You're you my boy. You're my dog. You're my, my homie. My other words that refer to friendship, yes. That is phileo, love. Uh, the, the greatest biblical example of this would be like David and Jonathan. The, the friendship that the two of them had. They covered one another. They looked out for one another. It was a deep friendship. Uh, the third is eros, and eros is a sensual, sexual, or a passionate kind of love. Uh, it is actually where we get the English word erotic, which is weird to say in church and uncomfortable for everybody, but uh, that is what eros means, this sexual, sensual kind of love. Uh, for a biblical example of that, you can read the book of so uh, Song of Solomon, um, afterwards, you can take a nice cold bath if you need to. Uh, maybe smoke a cigarette. Whatever you need to do to get yourself over it. You know, that's bad advice. Why would you say that, Pastor? Don't say smoke a cigarette. But that is the eros kind of... <laughs> get saved, right? I know. That is the eros kind of love. And then the last one, the redeemed kind, is agape. Unconditional love. The highest form of love. The only God kind of love. Uh, the author Dolores Smith says it like this, agape is everlasting and sacrificial whether or not the giver receives the same level of love in return. That is, again, the only God kind of love. That is the love that John refers to when he says that God so loved the world. He agaped the world. It was an unconditional love. We didn't deserve it. We did not earn it. It says in Romans chapter five that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we even had a thought or a glimpse of Jesus, his love drove him to a cross so that we could be in relationship with him. That is the kind of love. In fact, agape love is so good that it exists for people who never turn their lives over to Jesus. 
There are people all across this planet that have never made a conscious decision to follow him with, the, with their lives, and yet his love for them is exactly the same as it is for you today. It is that unconditional, unmerited kind of love. Now, those are the four loves in Greek, and it is important that we understand all four of those loves because once we have an understanding of the Greek language, once we understand that there are different words to describe love, this scripture takes on an entirely new potency. We get to understand a little bit deeper what John is speaking of here when he talks about the love for the world. For when John says you cannot love the world, he does not use storge, speaking of a familial love. He does not use phileo, speaking of a friendship love. He does not use eros, speaking of a sensual love. No, John says you cannot have an agape love for the world because if you do, it is evidence that you do not have the agape of the Father in you. You cannot have an unconditional love for the systems of this world or else you will not have the unconditional love of the Father. Let me say it like this because it'll, it'll hit a little bit different. You cannot have the kind of love for this world that causes you to go back to it over and over and over again no matter how poorly it treats you. Even when it lets you down, chews you up, spits you out, leaves you depressed and anxious, when it appeals to your flesh and gets you caught up in cycles of sin that are destructive, you cannot afford to engage in the toxic relationship with that mistress over and over and over again and continue to go back to her like a dog returns to its vomit, as the scripture says, offering your love and your affection and your commitment, because if so, it's proof positive that the love of the Father does not exist inside of you. Let that simmer for a moment. Let that uncomfortable tension kind of rest in the most uncomfortable way in your heart. I cannot love the world or else I do not have the love of the Father. That is an offensive statement. I can see the way some of you are looking at me right now. I can feel the way you're looking at me through the camera. You don't know me. You don't know how I love God. I put on pants today and I came to church, all right? I'm committed to Jesus. I listen to Christian songs. I got eight Bibles and eight different translations. I got a cross tattooed on my lower back. I'm committed. First of all, this is not me. I'm talking for John here. So if you're mad at someone, get mad at John. Secondly, John didn't say you don't love God. That's not what he said. He just said you might have the wrong kind of love for God. He said if your agape is tied up in the world, then you don't have agape for God. So if your agape is off the menu because you've already given it to someone else, you may still have a love for God, but you only got three, three loves to choose from at this point. So... So let's embrace that discomfort, shall we? <laughs> storge. Maybe you have a storge love for God, a familial love for God, which probably sounds like a good thing. After all, the Bible says that we are the family of God. So I, I, I am a part of the family. I love God, a brotherly, sisterly, kind of affectionate love. It should be the right thing, right? Maybe, but here's the thing about storge love. If storge love is all you've got, then there is no submission to him as your Lord. 
A familial love does not include submission. I got two little sisters and I love them. I don't submit to them. Sorry. <laughs> you tell me all you want, what you want me to do, doesn't mean I'm gonna do it. There's no submission in that relationship, even though there is a whole lot of love. So if you've got storge love for God, he could be your comforter, he could be your confidant, but he is not your king. And if he is not your king, you will pick and choose like a buffet which of his commands you're going to submit your life to. You will go through the word and go, I'll take the blessing and I'll take the joy and I'll take the provision and I'll take the comfort. Ah, but I'm gonna leave sexual purity there on the counter and I'm gonna leave giving on the counter and I'm gonna leave the move and go to this place and do something for God on the counter. There's a whole lot of things that you'll leave off the table because, well, he's not your king. And as the preachers of old used to say, he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And Jesus is not trying to be your uncle. He's not ready to be your cousin. He wants to be your king. He will accept nothing short of being our Lord. So we can't have a storge love. What about eros? That sensual, passionate kind of love, which might even sound awkward to even suggest or consider. But let's, let's think about this for a moment. Eros love, in its rawest form, is lust. What is lust? Lust is I want something from you. It's a transactional relationship. And once I get what I want, I'm gonna move on to the next thing or the next person. Maybe your love for God looks like this. Man, my, my life is destroyed right now. I need a little bit of help. I'm sick, I need healing. I have no job, I need provision. I'm broken, I need to be restored. And so I can't get what I'm looking for in the arms of my current lover, so I'm gonna run over to another lover and I'm going to have my needs fulfilled over here, but the second my needs are fulfilled over here and the second I get what I want, I'm gonna run right back over to this other toxic relationship and I'm gonna continue to engage here. And it's a back and forth and a back and forth because it's not love, it is lust. It's transactional. Or maybe it's not eros. Maybe it is phileo, the friendship kind of love. Remember those old hats? Jesus is my homeboy. You ever see those hats? Back in the day? It's a friendship. Yeah, I know him. We, we follow each other on social media. We hang out. I, I know a lot about him. But we're just friends. Famous last words of every relationship. We're just friends friends. I think that this is perhaps the most dangerous and yet most common kind of relationship that people have with God. A friendship relationship. Because the dangerous tension of a friendship is you think the relationship is far more intimate than it really is, only to discover when you get there, when things get tough, when you're standing before Jesus in heaven, it is revealed that there was a threshold that you never crossed over from friendship into lordship. And in fact, I think that the Apostle John, even as he writes this, I can't help but wonder if he is recalling one such friendship DTR conversation. The Apostle John was the only one of the four who wrote in his gospel about a moment where one of the other disciples was accused of having a friendship with Jesus when something else was required of him. It was at the conclusion of Jesus' ministry where him and Peter are hanging out on the lakeshore one day and there's this define the relationship conversation that takes place between Jesus and Peter. For those unfamiliar with the story, here's how it goes. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was, uh, was betrayed that he looked uh, at his disciple, Peter, after dinner 
And he said to him, hey, tonight I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be crucified. And you're going to deny three times that you even know me. Peter looks at Jesus. He's indignant. I would never. I would never deny you. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, you're going to deny three times you know me before the rooster even crows in the morning. Uh, Jesus is brought into the, uh, the, the place where the high priest is hanging out in the courtroom there. And they begin to try him for a number of issues. And things are said about him that are untrue. And Peter's hanging out on the outskirts. And a couple of people come up to him. And they begin to ask him, hey, were you a disciple? Did you know Jesus? I never knew the guy. I never knew the guy. I never knew the guy. Three times he denies him. And then the rooster crows. And we see Peter exit the scene, face and hands, devastated that he, yes, in fact, denied Christ three times. The next time we see Peter, a couple of chapters later, he's on a boat. I'm on a boat. <laughs> and guess who's with him? John, his buddy John. They're out fishing. Same way they were before they ever met Jesus. They're out fishing and they've been fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. Sounds like a familiar story. Guy looks out from the shore and he says, hey, fellows, have you caught anything? They look back and they say, no, we haven't caught anything. We've been fishing all night long, not even a bite. And this gentleman from the shore calls back, hey, why don't you throw your nets on the other side? Very familiar instruction. And they do. And lo and behold, a catch of fish large enough to feed many, many families and breaks the nets is caught. John looks at Peter and he says, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat and he begins to swim ashore just to see Jesus. And when he gets there, Jesus got a meal waiting for him. He's got breakfast cooked. And I imagine it was a rather odd breakfast chat. <laughs> no one brought up the fact that Peter denied him three times. Jesus didn't say anything. Peter didn't say anything. Hey, how's your fish? Good. <laughs> how's life? Super neat. But then finally, at the conclusion of breakfast, Jesus looks at Peter and he engages in this DTR chat. He looks him straight in the eye and he says, hey, hey, Peter, I need to know something. Do you love me? Do you agape me? I, I agape you. You notice I haven't said anything about the denial stuff. I still love you. I still gave myself for you. You have all of me. Do you, do you love me in return? And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I love you. Only when Peter says he loves Jesus, he doesn't use agape. He says, I phileo you. I love you like a friend. A couple minutes pass by, Jesus looks at Peter again. He says, hey, Peter, I, I hate to ask this again, but do you love me? Peter looks down. I phileo you, Jesus. And then the third time, Jesus looks Peter square in the eyes, comes down to his level and he says, hey, hey, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you love me like a friend? And Peter looks back devastated at Jesus and he says, Lord, you know already, you know all things. Yes, I Phileo, you. He was looking for agape, but all he had was a friend. I wonder how many Christians don't need to have a very similar conversation with Jesus. I wonder how many believers don't need to have the DTR chat. If Jesus were to show up on your job site tomorrow, bring breakfast with him, sit down, have a phileo fish with you, <laughs> 
Sounds like a great breakfast. <laughs> I'm going to look you square in the eye and say, hey, I got to know something before I get out of here. Do you love me? How would you answer that question? I didn't ask how would you hope to answer that question, but how would you have to answer that question based on the evidence of your life right now? Could you say, I agape you? Or would you be restricted to one of the other forms of love because your agape has been all tied up with the systems of this world? And before you beat yourself up over that and think, man, I don't love God enough and I just, I wish that I could say I got it, but I don't. Just stop for a moment and let me remind you of something encouraging. Jesus already knows. <laughs> he knew for Peter and he knows for you. He knows if your love is lacking. And yet even in the face of this exchange, even in the midst of that kind of a conversation, Jesus would look back at you and he would say, yet I still agape you. I still have an unconditional, unmerited love for you. He knew this for Peter. He knew that Peter desperately needed to encounter the love of Jesus because of where he was at in his head and where he was at in his spirit. What Jesus understood in this moment and what we must all understand as followers of Jesus is that we cannot give what we have not first received. If we have not first received the agape of God, then we cannot give back the agape of God. And so Jesus does not enter into this conversation to condemn Peter, but he enters into this conversation to remind Peter that there is still a love on the table available to him if he would just engage once again with his Savior and receive the love that Jesus had for him. And if you don't believe me, listen, this is what Jesus says to Peter at the conclusion of this awkward DTR conversation. John 21, verse 19. He says to, 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 to Peter, and Jesus told him, hey, follow me. There are so, there's so much love inside those two words. Agape is all up in that, that invitation to follow him. Think about this. Those are the same words that Jesus said to Peter at the beginning. When he found him on the seashore before he ever made a decision to follow him, he said, hey, follow me. I'm inviting you into this when there is no evidence that you even belong on the team here. And it would be crazy to consider that Jesus, having just discovered that Peter did not love him sufficiently to invite him back on this journey. Lord, I just told you that I don't love you the way that you want me to love you. I just told you that you're just my friend and you're looking for an agape love from me. And yet Jesus is saying, well, love keeps no record of wrong. Love, love does not keep this, this, this chart of all the bad decisions that you've made and I'm now holding them against you. No, in this invitation, Jesus is proving I've already taken care of your, of your sin from yesterday. I'm taking care of your sin for today and there is still an opportunity for you tomorrow if you will just choose to follow me again. If you'll receive it, then you can give it back. So I guess here's what I'm asking of you today. As the band comes and, and we conclude, I'm not asking you to do anything. You can't really do anything to love somebody more. That's impossible. I guess what I'm asking you to do is to receive something today, to receive a fresh dose of the love of God. For having received it, you can reciprocate. You can give it. And, and I wanna turn this into a, a bit of a holy moment if we could. Not because I can fabricate that, because I can't. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to minister to some people over the next 
90 seconds or so. As we conclude, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Because I want you so desperately to sense the love of Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes in just a moment, posture your heart to receive. Don't hear this with your head, but hear this with your heart. I'm gonna read a number of scriptures out about the love of God. And as I read these scriptures out about the love of God, I want you to receive them. Not my voice, but the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to every single heart today, reminding you of God's love so that you can give it back in return. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and just receive this. Psalm 136, verse 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his love endures forever. Psalm 86, 15. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Jeremiah 31, three. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Lamentations 3.22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. Ephesians 3.18, and may you have the power to understand as all God's children should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 1 John 4 tells us that God is love which means that 1 Corinthians 13 could read like this, God is patient, God is kind. God does not boast, he's not proud. He does not dishonor others, he's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered, and he keeps no record of your wrongs. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and God's love never fails. And Romans 8:37. in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Come on, he loves you today with an unfailing love. His love is unmerited and it is not deserved. And yet it comes to you right where you're at asking you, will you receive my love today? Father, help us to receive this. Give us the capacity to receive your love so that we can give it back to you and others in return. I pray for every calloused heart, those who've gone through religious motions for a long time and they have not been moved to their heart in decades. Right now, Jesus, I pray that the scales and the stones would fall that their hearts would become soft again and we would be able to receive from you afresh. I joked earlier about the conversation I had with my daughter and her moment where heaven was a reality and she realized I need to make this decision to step over the line. Before we conclude today, I, I wanna make an opportunity for anybody else who is in the room today that would say, you know what, I'm, I'm in that same space. I hear what you're saying about the love of God. I hear what you're saying about eternity, but Tim, I'm, I'm far from Jesus today. I've been at a distance. Maybe you've never made this choice to follow him, or maybe you find yourself in a season where you've been away for a while and you know in your heart that you need to come back today. Before we conclude, we wanna make sure that we offer an opportunity for you to get things right with God. I wanna pray a simple prayer with you. Words don't matter, the condition of your heart is what matters most, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, before we pray that simple prayer, if you're here today and you know you're far from God and you know you need to draw close to him, would you do me a, just a quick favor? Would you lift your hand and look up at me and say, Tim, I'm coming home to Jesus today. This is my day, he knows my name. 
I'm making a decision to follow him. Thank you, sir. I got you right there. Got you in the back right on, bro. Anybody else here? If you're watching from home again, this is for you. Yeah, right on. All right, I'm going to say this very simple prayer. As, as, I, as I say this, just repeat it in your heart after me. Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you that you came to this earth to give yours for mine. And I choose today to follow you. I know that my love has been wrapped up in other things, but I give my love back to you today. Thank you for loving me first and help me to love you in return. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's thank God for everybody who made that decision today. So good. Hey, listen, if you just prayed that prayer uh, and you're watching online, there's a link at the bottom of the YouTube channel that you can click. It says, I made a decision to follow Jesus today. Please click that and it'll give you some next steps from there. For those that are in the room, if you just lifted your hand or even if you did not and you prayed that prayer, I want you to grab one of these cards right now before you leave. And on the back of that card, I want you to check the box that said, I made a decision to follow Jesus. Give us some brief information about yourself. And before you leave, head out to our connect table. We wanna get a Bible in your hands. We wanna help you start your journey strong. We are immensely passionate about that around here. We're gonna tell you about something called First 40. We believe the first 40 days of your journey with Jesus are one of the most important 40 days of your life. And we wanna help you learn how to read the Bible, how to pray, what these next steps of faith look like. In fact, one of the things we're gonna to talk to you about is getting water baptized. The Bible says to repent and then be water baptized. We, we get water baptized every, well, we don't get, baptized every week here, but we have a baptism tank available every single week here for those who make a decision to follow Jesus so that they can get water baptized. And we would love to celebrate with you this death of your old man and a resurrection of a new creation out of those waters. If you've not yet done that, check the box, head back to the connect table, or you can do it on the app or on the website. Uh, for everybody else, would you stand to your feet as we conclude? I'm gonna have our prayer team come this direction. If you need prayer for anything, please come this way. We would love to pray for you before you get out of here. Otherwise, thank you for coming to church online. Thank you for coming to church in person. So good to be back with you guys. And we will see you same time, same place next week. Have an amazing, beautiful Sunday. See you soon. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.